Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Hello, and welcome to Cool People Did Cool Stuff, your podcast about, wait a second, Sophie's not here. We can do anything we want. Hello, and welcome to Hollywood. Let's talk about Hollywood. That's a real place, and we care about the people there. Shereen, do you think that's a good podcast? I feel like we'll be the first people to come up with that kind of podcast. Yeah, we're gonna. it's going to be a big hit, smash hit. Yeah. yeah. We're going to get some celebrities. We're looking at that podcast money. Hell yeah. yeah. Um, or, okay, actually... Maybe we should just... We'll do that later. First, we'll do a cool people, do cool stuff. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess we have to get that out of the way first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, great. We'll jump in. Um, yeah. Because I'm really excited about today's guest and topic. My guest today is Alinda Sagata, and the principal songwriter, I guess is the maybe way to say it, but I'm not entirely certain, of one of the best bands out there, Hooray for the Riff Raff. Alinda, how are you? I'm good. I'm on a wild journey of life, but I'm really happy to be here, and I've missed you. Yay! Yeah, but <laughs> I keep finding my guests are like my old friends from back in the day in a nice way. Um, and Alinda and I know each other from New York many, many years ago. Yeah, that's beautiful. Alinda, I was going to describe your music and then I realized I don't know how to. Is there like a catchy one sentence version that you use? I guess like sometimes I say folk rock. Okay. Because I feel like people nod when I say that. Okay. <laughs> you know? I will go out. Go ahead, sorry. Oh, there's, there's rock in it, but it's also folk. Yeah. <laughs> I will say to anyone who, I don't usually like folk rock, as is described. Yeah. And I really like Hooray for the Riff Raff. So if anyone... Good. Yeah. Everyone should what would listen. you call it? Also, one time oh, somebody called it folk punk, and I was like, whoa, I felt like younger me was really excited. <laughs> but only I, younger me. I used to distinguish between folk punk and punks playing folk. Because mm. <laughs> folk punk is when you take the punk vocals and put them over folk instrumentation. Exactly. And then punks playing folk is when punks play folk music. Yes. And, and I like that one more. I gotta admit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I once um I once stopped playing shows because I was playing shows with an accordion and I told this other person I played with, I was like, Oh, I don't usually like folk punk, but I really liked your set. And he got really offended. And he was like, 
which is fair. It was a dumb thing for me to have said. And he was like, well, what do you call what you do? And then I stopped playing shows. Oh, I oh my God. I didn't want to be folk <laughs> The punk. power. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's not what we're talking about today. We are not talking about folk punk today. Okay, well, first, as people might have noticed, our, our producer Sophie is not with us. Instead, we have Shireen, at least partly, but otherwise we're flying mm-hmm. solo. I believe in you. Thank you. That's all claim that I do too, so that <laughs> everyone feels safe. Our audio engineer is Ian. Hi, Ian. And our theme music was written for us by Unwoman. And our topic today, Alinda, people talk a lot about like getting shit done, but usually they don't get shit done. They talk about getting shit done. Mm-hmm. Today we're going to talk about some people who got shit done. This was the thing that I kept running over and over again was just like getting shit done. Be out of. They got so much done that this is our second four parter. Um, there's two weeks that we're going to be talking about a street gang that turned into revolutionary socialists who fought for change, and they only got the tiniest portion of what they wanted, and they still got more than almost anyone I ever read about. <laughs> In case anyone's wondering, anyone who's listening, if you were wondering, huh, I wonder if the reason that the trash gets picked up is because of people rioting. I wonder if the reason that people don't use lead paint anymore is because of militant demonstrators who were threatening to overthrow capitalism. And was it people committed to the destruction of capitalism who brought us the patient's bill of rights and the fact that some of times were treated okay at hospitals? The answer is yes. Because today we're going to talk about the Young Lords. Alinda, have you heard of the Young Lords? I have learned. I have heard of the Young Lords. I was um, very deeply affected by learning about them um, some years ago. And it like really changed my music and it changed my life. That's cool. The, yeah. the reason Alinda is the guest for this is that I started writing a script for someone else. And then um, I was name dropping Alinda and one of... Uh, one of their songs in the script. And then I was like, Alinda should be the guest for this. And then Alinda <laughs> said yes. I'm so. really excited mm-hmm. to learn to learn about them. You know, yeah. I've, like, ex- I've had the emotional experience of learning uh, some about the Young Lords, but I'm ready to deep dive. Fuck yeah. Okay, so today we're going to talk about uh, this week and next week, we're going to talk about some of the amazing stuff done by the Puerto Rican radicals in the continental United States. And that means we should at least briefly talk about Puerto Rico itself. Puerto Rico is an American colony. The U.S. doesn't like to use that word. They use the word unincorporated territory. Whoa. Yeah. It means I've heard commonwealth my whole life. Oh, okay. I think that... Which which is... Mm -hmm. Well, I just think it's a very silly term when it's like, there is no commonwealth. (laughs) Yeah. Well, (laughs) the... That's the way people in the United States have the Commonwealth of Puerto Rico. It was all extracted. Yeah. 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 So the U.S. got this colony in 1898 um, by the usual means of colony, getting colonies through war. And in this case, they stole it from Spain as the result of the Spanish-American War. Spain, of course, had stolen it in the first place. They stole it from the indigenous people of the island back in 1508. Puerto Rico... So it becomes a colony of the U.S. instead of of Spain. And then in 1917, Puerto Ricans were suddenly granted U.S. citizenship, which was so benevolent. It was just a strange coincidence that this was just in time for all the Puerto Rican men to get drafted. 
Yes. Yeah. Yes. So the U.S. gave Puerto Ricans U.S. citizenship because they wanted to throw them into the meat grinder of World War I. And the entire Puerto Rican House of Delegates, like the the local governance in Puerto Rico, voted against mm-hmm. getting U.S. citizenship because they were like, Oh, whoa. Yeah. And that part actually a little bit surprised me because a lot of, you know, U.S. statehood is a big part of a lot of Puerto Rican movement stuff now, right? And we're going to talk a little bit about that. But um, they knew it was a fucking trick, as far as I can tell. They were just like, yeah, no, why would we go off and do this? So ever since, Puerto Rican folks have been fighting for, and this depends on who you ask. Some people are fighting for independence from the U.S. Some people are fighting for statehood. Either way, people are fighting. I'm kind of curious whether, like, uh, in, in your family, whether, like, there was a strong sense of statehood, independence, that kind of thing. Like, It really depends. It's like, I think there's definitely a exhaustion mm-hmm. that my family has, I think is pretty common um, to uh, Puerto Ricans who, you know, I, I don't really have a lot of family in the island anymore. Mm-hmm. And it seems like my family is very much like, well, how would the island survive if we weren't owned by the U.S. at this point? Like an yeah. exhaustion of this idea of independence even being possible. But yeah. then there are certain people, like, you know, there's like some more radically leaning people in my family that are just like, the point is to try the point is to figure it out you know yeah and i think like it's like useful to understand and be sympathetic to both of those positions for me as someone who's not puerto rican is just being like all right like independence the more radical thing sounds always cooler to me but i'm like i could get people just trying for what they can you know yeah and i feel that too even being like a puerto rican person that wasn't brought up on the island i'm like Mm -hmm. what right do i have to tell people how to like to make a decision that really it affects them. It doesn't affect me, you know, it affects their daily life. So um, I definitely try to be aware of that, especially with like having a band and being sometimes the only Puerto Rican person that someone's ever talked to. Right. You know? Yeah. Well, part four of this episode will be particularly interesting as relates to not the band part, but the, mainland U.S. Puerto Ricans, and we'll we'll talk about that later. Everyone's going to have to wait a little bit. So the U.S., they want Puerto Rico still, and it is part of the U.S. exercising power across the globe. It's not like some benevolence thing that we have this fucking colony. Uh, The majority of U.S. interventions in Latin America are staged on the island of Puerto Rico. Oh, wow. And since Puerto Rico is a colony, it means the U.S. is out to extract whatever value it can from the island, which in 1917 met grist for the mill... Post-World War II, it was something different, but something related. It was need workers. We need workers because so many of ours just died because we just fought World War II. So please, everyone, come over. And so between 1947 and 1970, a third of the population of Puerto Rico moved to the United States, looking for something like stability and a decent life. Uh, Disproportionately, this was youth who came, and 90% of them went, at least to begin with, to New York City. This... This mass immigration started because of a U.S. project called Operation Bootstrap, which was this massive spike in industrialization that displaced people even as it like put in power lines. So it was like kind of like, oh, we're doing all this nice stuff. We're bringing in power lines and industry and, and infrastructure. But it just fucked everything up. Wow. It was openly an attempt to stabilize the political situation in the colony and make it more useful for U.S. interests. Uh, the sugar economy, which was also bad, but it was like what Spain was mostly up to, 
was replaced by industrialization, also bad, and U.S. investment in capitalism just like poured into Puerto Rico. So Puerto Rico folk, Puerto Rican folks led the fucking up of their country and moved to the U.S. Where they were welcomed with open arms, economic opportunity, good living conditions, the American dream, and no, no, wait, no, it's the opposite of that. <laughs> Puerto Rican immigrants was even immigrants the right word. I mean, you know, po- people coming from so Puerto Rico. Confusing. Yeah. Yeah. Met with violence, nativism, bigotry, racism, classism instead. Uh, Puerto Ricans in the U.S. were immediately slandered as junkies and thugs and welfare dependents, um, the same as marginalized people always are. They're treated like illegal immigrants, which of course is not true, and obviously undocumented people should also be treated well and fuck borders, but in this case, literally it's U.S. citizens moving to another part of the U.S., and they'd come over basically at the behest of the U.S. government to work, uh, but the piece of shit racists didn't like thinking, period. Yeah, this is actually when um, my family came over is like around 1947. Oh, okay. Oh, damn. So yeah. like kind of like first wave of all this stuff. Yeah, my dad came over when he was a kid and he has mm-hmm. this story about being on a plane that the chairs were actually like lawn chairs and that my Holy grandmother shit. came with like her three kids because my grandfather was already over in New York working mm-hmm. and like... It just being like, okay, every, you know, I'm sure they were like some, some house <laughs> bolted down, but just like this totally crazy yeah. experience of like, let's get as many of these people over as we can, you know? That's fucking, I mean, it doesn't surprise me, but I just had never even imagined that kind of like, yeah, like I wonder how I thought, I never really thought about how folks came over, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Operation Bootstrap had another impact. It showed the world that the quote-unquote third world was open for business. And I think it was like one of the things that kind of started the industrial economy disappearing from the United States as industrialization has moved out to the colonies and to the sort of, you know, in a neoliberal sense, you can kind of claim that most of the quote-unquote developing world is colonies for the rich nations, you know. So... There's a weird, awful downside to this. Millions of people are showing up for looking for work in the cities because they've been told to come over and get work in the cities. Just as the U.S. is like starting to eradicate industrialization within in the continental United States, and so there's not a lot of work. In 1966, mm-hmm. a study found that the unemployment or underemployment of Puerto Rican men in East Harlem, or what's called Spanish Harlem or El Barrio was 47%. Half the Puerto Rican families in New York lived worse than immigrant families in New York during the fucking Great Depression. So by 1966, 20% of the students in New York City were Puerto Rican and 30% were black, which means it's the first time that white people weren't the majority in New York City in the schools. Whoa. And I don't know if you knew this, but white people don't historically like that. They don't. Yeah, it's not a... Not a cool look. Yeah, yeah. They haven't figured out. They're like, they don't want to get treated like they've been treating people, you know? Yeah. So, 2,000 white parents picketed City Hall over school integration. In 1964, almost half a million white students stayed home in a boycott protest organized by their racist fucking parents in New York City. 
Wow. Yeah. Like, half a million fucking kids didn't go to school in protest of there being people of color in their schools. And, like, white Northerners have this attitude that, like, white Southerners are the only racist people. Seriously. Yeah. Um. Wow. <laughs> so, we'll come back to New York later. Okay. Our story winds up in New York, but it starts in Chicago. Yeah. In Chicago in 1954, some white assholes firebombed a Puerto Rican bar and an apartment, which led to a week of fighting. And it led to non-white gangs forming for self-defense, specifically Puerto Rican, Mexican, and black gangs started forming in Chicago in the 1950s. And you got a bunch of capitalists exploiting this racist fear. White people started fleeing Chicago in the 50s out to the suburbs, the, the classic white flight. The, the white people who stayed in Chicago were like really paranoid about black people driving down their property values or whatever. So these real estate assholes who created the racist panic in the first place would get white people to sell at a loss and basically like stoke these fears in order to make money and flip houses. And it was kind of like domino style. And so like the white flight was like both racist cowards and also racist capitalists were looking to exploit the fear of the racist capitalists, racist cowards. And that's the condition into which our very young heroes or lords, as we might call them, enter our story. (laughs) Yeah. But first, we're going to talk about some other heroes, capitalism and products and services that support our show because we're ad-sponsored. And now you can listen to those ads. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com, that's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. And we're back. And we are talking about the beginning of the Young Lords. They formed as a street gang in 1959 in Lincoln Park in Chicago. They were formed by seven kids. Six of them were Puerto Rican. One of them was Mexican. And this part I didn't know. I mean it when I say kids. How old do you think these kids were? I mean, I always imagined like 
mid twenties, but I know that's wrong. Yeah, like half that. Some Whoa. of them are like eleven. What? Yeah. Um, in fact, well, like actual children. Yeah. The kind of like main founder of the, we'll get to this, like one of our like heroes that we're going to talk about, Jose Chacha Jimenez. Uh huh. He was 11 years old in 1959 when he was a founding oh member God. of this gang. Yeah. That actually, okay, that reminds me though, have you heard, there is a story about um, kids in Puerto Rico, talking about kids not going to school, about mm-hmm. kids in Puerto Rico like not going to school in protest of this time when they were trying to make um, when the u.s was trying to force like english to be the official language of the school system oh no this is cool no yeah so there is i don't know a lot about it but this there is like a history of puerto rican children being like yeah fuck you we're just not gonna go (laughs) you know so which is the opposite of this sorry go ahead it's in the blood yeah (laughs) and it's the opposite of those half a million white kids who are like we don't want to go to school because there might Someone at school speaking Spanish. I can't handle it. <laughs> yeah. Um, God forbid. Wow, 11. Yeah. Jose Chacha Jimenez, he was a founding member. He's 11 years old. By the time he was 14, he was a pretty, petty crook. He got caught a bunch going in and out of facilities all the time. His Catholic parents had come over from Puerto Rico with him when he was two. Um, his mom passed... When they moved to Chicago... His mom packed Christmas cards for a living and his dad worked in a meat packing plant. As the city redeveloped and tore down everything and like fucked over all the poor, poor people, they moved nine times in the first six years they lived in Chicago. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Where they wound up in Lincoln Park was like diverse, quote, quote unquote, but it was segregated block by block. Um, his okay. mom pulled a bunch of strings to get him put into a Catholic school because he'd been ra- she'd been raised in a Catholic poorhouse and had connections. But... This will be shocking to you. So the priests at this school, not so cool. Um, they were all a bunch of racists. They used the N-word constantly. Uh, Whoa. They just fucking hated these. Like, I, I, As best as I can tell, it was like white Catholics. And they were like, fuck. Oh, why did... And it's like, honey, that's on you. Your missionaries went and turned all these people of color into <laughs> you know. My family had so many stories about like nuns, mm-hmm. like hitting them with rulers and shit. Yeah. Like luckily I was able to grow up not, like we went to mass like for yeah. Christmas, but I was raised so, I was raised by a bunch of like hippies basically that got hit by nuns. So we're just like, <laughs> fuck that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm very lucky. Yeah, that... Yeah, my dad went to Catholic school, so I didn't have to. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, so this is what he's getting raised, how he's getting raised. His dad had actually been in a gang himself, uh, La Hacha Vieja, the old hatchet, which is the oldest oh. known Puerto Rican street gang in at least Chicago. I'm unsure if there's older, older oh. Puerto Rican street gangs in the United States. I tried looking and like it would come back being like 1970. And I'm like, no, no, that's not yeah, the oldest yeah. one. Well, cool name though. I know, right? And especially that'd be like, a sick band name. <laughs> okay, but you're breaking my rule. I have like, if there's like Margaret's Law, it's that everyone who says that would be a cool band name is wrong. But this actually <laughs> would be a good band name. Like, okay, I won. Yeah, you um, you broke the law. <laughs> band jail, you have to go to. <laughs> yeah, I know, and especially because the old hatchet was probably a bunch of teenagers, right? Like, yeah, 
The only uh, like Puerto Rican street gang I know about is the Ghetto Brothers. Okay, no, I don't know about. But them. I think that was I think that was later on. Okay, and they eventually became a band. Oh, word. Yeah. So different than the Ghetto Boys. Yes. Great. Different. I was like, okay. So the history, I feel like it's worth pointing out. If I'm talking about this street gang, right? And people have like various yeah. impressions about street gangs, depending on where you live and, and all of these things. But it's like really worth understanding why people are forming a street gang. There is a long history of ethnic gangs in Chicago. This is not a nice history. It goes back into the late 19th century when German and Irish youth crewed up, not with each other, but with other German. And the Germans with the Germans, the Irish with the Irish, because everyone's fucking bullshit. Mm-hmm. In order to be shitty to more recent immigrants. That's where ethnic mm. gangs come from in Chicago. And this tied very happily and easily into the city's politics. The city gave the gangs resources and the kids would grow up and join the more formal political structure. They all became cops and firefighters. Oh, wow. Yeah. There's this, this criminal justice professor guy. His name's John M. Hagerdorn. And his quote is... The Irish gang, in effect, was reinvented as the Chicago Police Department. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, corruption and Chicago go the long history together. Yeah. So the white ethnic gangs continued to be fucked up, whether before joining the cops or after joining the cops. And they did a bunch of racist shit time and time again as black labor moved into the city. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I feel like this is important to understand when we talk about the development of non-white gangs in the U.S. more broadly, right? Because, like, a huge part of racism is, like, being like, but the gangs or whatever, you know? Totally. And it's like, okay, they came from defending themselves against you. Yeah, for real. Which isn't to say, uh, whatever, we'll talk about some of what they got up to, and, uh, you know, it's complicated, right? So Chacha starts a gang when he's 11 because white gangs have been fucking with him for a year already. Since he's 10 years old, he's used to white gangs. Like, Because um, the white kids in the area outnumbered everyone else, 17 to 1 at that point, demographically. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he gets his nickname uh, because racist kids keep saying cha-cha-cha every time they see him. Oh, wow. And he's like, all right, fuck it. That's my name. I'm Chacha. And he just becomes a badass. I know. And it like, be like a scary name to run into someone who's like fucking with you. Cha-cha. Definitely. (laughs) It's like you go and like, someone's like, maybe picking a fight with you. And you're like, what's your name? They're like, Tiddlywinks. And you're like, I gotta go. I hear my mom calling. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like you've seen some shit. Yeah. They met up at a junior high school, the Young Lords. Their founder was this darker-skinned Puerto Rican kid, Orlando Davila, who was red as black and got even more shit from people um, from which he mm-hmm. le- learned to defend himself. And I'm kind of curious your, your take on this part because like this is something I can like read about. But there's this, yeah. there's this interesting writing about race relations in the Port- Puerto Rican immigrants at the time. Uh, for most immigrants, the Puerto Rican ethnicity was far more important than their race as viewed by other people in, you know, mm. in the continental U.S., so, like, Chacha had green eyes and light skin. Orlando was red as black. But for the second generation, American views, like, mainland American group views crept in more, and more younger yeah. Puerto Ricans identified with black struggle, and their parents were largely trying to distinguish themselves from black struggle. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I have, like, especially in my family, it's like, I have so much white privilege, mm-hmm. you know? And I feel like... Definitely, 
I witnessed a lot of racism get just like crammed into my family's minds. I think like what I've experienced is also like a lot of pride about like not being considered uh, immigrants, right. even though they have this immigrant experience. It's like the classic American thing where it's like, well, we are one step closer to this pyramid, the top of the pyramid, than people who are dealing with immigration status. We don't have to deal with that, you yeah. know? And racism and colorism definitely was something that I saw all the time. Okay. And yeah, that, that makes sense. Like one of the things I have a hard, hardest time, because again, I'm mostly just reading about this stuff and everyone who's writing has different, you know, things that they're trying to say or not say. Right. And like, so like sometimes I read about like all of the awful in inner fighting, but horizontal conflict between uh, uh-huh. black New Yorkers and Puerto Rican New Yorkers. Right. And then other places I read, I'll read about all of these like moments of solidarity and people will be like, oh, we all got along. And like, yeah, I have a feeling the answer is both maybe, you know, I think so. I mean, also, like I said, there was a generation like who was radicalized and Mm -hmm. then after, you know, not to jump ahead, but then they experienced the fucking 80s and it's like such disillusionment. Mm -hmm. And then my generation comes. and I feel like it's only now that I'm seeing kids like get radicalized in the same way. You know, I feel like, so I don't know. I think, I, I think there is more like solidarity now, but Mm -hmm. I'm also feel like a white kid looking in, right. You know, also an interesting thing in, in New York, at least is the fighting between Dominican and Puerto Rican. Oh, okay. People. That was something I witnessed a lot because of like immigration status and also racism. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it, it's, I love, love is not the right word, but I'm so interested in all these things that like complicate the mainstream conception of like the racial mm-hmm. hierarchy, right? And like, you know, the fact that Puerto Rican immigrants would be coming from different ethnic backgrounds with, or different racial backgrounds, I guess you would say, um, from Puerto Rico. Whereas like to like the people who live in the US, maybe it was like, whatever, you're all fucking Puerto Ricans, fuck you. You know, as compared yeah. to like, white Puerto Ricans and black Puerto Ricans. And, and I, I don't know enough about race relations within Puerto Rico. I've only read about them and how they relate to the mainland. Um, yeah, I feel like I've definitely experienced, like, you know, I get this, like, platform. And because mm-hmm. I feel like I just make people feel more comfortable. They're like, oh, I understand you more. Or, like, yeah. I don't have to experience that racism. So I think certain Puerto Ricans that are super light-skinned, it's how I think, I know. Like, yeah. we get these you know, platforms and experience, you know, these opportunities and shit. And J-Lo becomes like the idea of what being Puerto Rican is instead of a super complex identity. Yeah. I had no idea that J-Lo was Puerto Rican, but I also... Really? Okay, this is the like main running in joke is that I don't know anything about pop culture. Um, oh my god! Yeah, Ricky Martin and J Lo. I knew about Ricky I Martin. Grew up. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I grew up thinking that was what being Puerto Rican was. So yeah. then to find out about the Young Lords is like a mind-altering moment. Where I'm like, wait, what? We're like revolutionary fucking fighters. This is crazy. Yeah. I thought we were just like puppet. You know, like I was just raised with this idea of yeah. of what it was. Yeah, I mean the. Well, I guess we'll get to it. Yeah, the death knell of yeah. everything in the 80s and all that. Um, this is the kind of sad thing about like cool people in history. And you're like, well, if you tell the story long enough, it, 
But there's amazing yeah. stuff along the way, which is all any of us have as our lives anyway, right? Like all of them. So they're a gang now. Let's go back to okay. Chicago, 1950s. And they immediately set out, and they're like 11 to 14, and I think some of them were like 16 or whatever. And they immediately set out to wow. do gang shit. They're really into stealing cars. You got to have a nice car. And selling stolen car parts is good money. Cha-Cha had okay. white passing privilege, so he was the kid who would do the initial stealing. Also, probably the fact that he's like a, a white passing 11-year-old is probably part of how he got away with this, you know? <laughs> My God. Yeah. And then the young lords immediately got to fighting anyone who fucked with them. Uh, and they immediately started getting arrested for weapons possession, assault, petty theft, and drugs. Most of the fighting they did, this is like where they, was they would forcefully integrate places that were informally whites only. Oh, wow. Yeah. When older folks would get pushed around, like older, older Puerto Rican folks, and would get pushed around or slapped for being in the wrong place, there's like the Lakeshore Drive Beach the young lords would just yeah. show up and be like, nah, that's cool. We're allowed to be here. <laughs> like, Wow. That beach in particular, they fought with broken bottles and knives for the right to swim there. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah, I really They're like little them. badasses. Yeah. I know. I like, my friend who turned me on to, I'd, I'd heard some about the young lords, but not like a ton, right? And my friend was like, you really need to do an episode on them. And um, it ties into... There's like some stuff that keeps coming up over, over and over again. We're going to talk about tuberculosis in this episode. For some reason, tuberculosis is this running theme throughout all these things. Whoa. And it's going to come up, but not yet. Okay. But yeah, so, and the white gangs would fight back, right? You know, the, I presume German, German and Irish gangs would fight back and try and fight the young lords and be like, no, we want our whites only beach or whatever. But eventually the white gangs relented. And I'm under the impression this isn't less because the young lords always won and more because they always fought. Fought. And I think that this is how oppressive power works. You don't even need to always win. You just need to keep fighting and they'll back off first because they have more to lose, right? They're more privileged. Wow, what an, a great lesson to like keep in mind. Yeah. Yeah. When Cha Cha was 15, he found himself increasingly in charge of the gang because he was willing to um, <laughs> do the paperwork for the gang. <laughs> what, did, what did like paperwork entail? So... He was the business manager, and he would raise money to get everyone in the gang black and purple sweaters. And, oh. yeah. And they would throw soul dance parties, and that's how they would raise the money. And so he was this fundraiser. I go to one of those parties. Yeah. Um, and he was like, he wasn't afraid to throw down, but he was always also trying to figure out nonviolent solutions to most problems. Um, he still fought a lot. He got arrested 20 times over the course of his young life. Like, only a couple Holy years. Shit. So I really like this, like, this is my favorite version of nonviolence, is the, like, our preference is nonviolence. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like, but, we're, <laughs> but if I must. <laughs> yeah. We're going to swim at this beach. Nonviolently, ideally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, ideally. <laughs> All right. So then he's 16. And uh, he might be 15 or something. I, I get the year something happened and not the age of the person, so I do rough math. And he gets sentenced to, okay. I don't remember what I caught for this time. Um, he gets sentenced to go live in Puerto Rico for a year. The judge is like, Whoa. Yeah, I didn't know this was a thing. It was an assault that would have had him in prison for years. And I think that the judge was just actually like, You dumb fucking kid. Go get out of here. You know, like, 
Wow, yeah. So he goes to Puerto Rico. And while he's there, he tries to get up to all his usual shit. At one point, he steals a horse to ride off to go hotwire a priest's car in order to go see a girl he likes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> True uh, romance. Yeah, exactly. By the way. I know. <laughs> but they catch him and they don't throw okay. him in jail when he's in Puerto Rico. Instead, they chew him out in public. Like, I think in, like, the town square, basically. A priest and then an older woman just, like, yell at him for being a fuck-up in front of everyone. Oh, my God. And this works. I mean, he he does a, like, 180. But it's way more effective than getting sent to jail. Totally. And going to Puerto Rico is, like, a a sea change. His two main sea change moments about how he becomes who he becomes. And going to Puerto Rico is one of them. He did come back and a week later go to jail for stealing a toaster. Okay. So he's not 180. New habits, they take a little while to catch on. Uh, Much like what also takes a while to catch on are products and services, and that's why you have to hear about them over and over again before they stick in your mind, and you know that we've had really bad sponsors lately. Um, The main bad one is Reagan Gold. So, (laughs) go buy gold that'll teach him focus features presents back to black i want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles experience the music and her story know this i ain't no spy girl like never before that's my daughter that's my amy on the big screen i want to be remembered could just be in me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. And we're back. Oh, we should have thought of, now that we're back from a break, I want to go back to being sponsored by really nice stuff. Uh, Historically, some of the things that we got sponsored by, for a long time we were sponsored by the concept of potatoes. Um, we've also been sponsored. No. Well, not a- officially, but our unofficial sponsors, the concept of potatoes. 
Okay. And we've also been sponsored by like a nice comb. The um, <laughs> Happy Sleeping Dogs is a good sponsor for the show. And so I'm wondering if you have any sponsors you'd like us. Um, when Sophie is back, Sophie will get us sponsored by by whatever you want. Um, you know, lately I've been really into baby elephants in general, especially Ooh. baby elephants bathing. Okay, okay. So if that's po- if that's a possibility, we can do it. Sophie is really good at shit, and this show is brought to you by baby elephants bathing. Um, go watch videos of baby elephants and see them be cute, and that is substantially better than buying fucking gold. <laughs> In 1966 in Chicago, you have the Division Street Riots. Chicago declared Puerto Rican Week, which included the city's first Puerto Rican parade. Cops were there. Oh, cool. Yeah. And the cops were super respectful. No, the cops were being cops, so they shot someone. They shot someone in the leg during the celebrations. And so a crowd showed up. And then cops sicked a dog on someone. And the crowd went wild. And the rioting went on for three days, uh, destroying 50 white-owned businesses that ran through a Puerto Rican neighborhood. Holy shit. And Chacha was sitting in jail during this, and he was just like, for something else. Maybe the toaster, I'm not sure. And so he's just cheering uh-huh. it on, right? He's like, go kids, go. This rules, you know? Yeah. Other young lords are involved in the organizing in the wake of it for structural change. And a bunch of new groups pop up in the wake of this. And the, the most influential one, or the one that I keep writing about, in the books that I was reading about this, is the Latin American Defense Organization, or LADO, LADO. Oh, wow. Um, And they rule. Um, They spread across the country. They bring together working-class Latin Americans. And, but the Young Lords, they're not ready to be a socialist organization quite yet. In fact, they're starting to drift apart. Uh, Members grew up, they get married, they join the military, they go to prison for a long time Mm -hmm. because they keep doing crime. In 1968, Cha-Cha is in prison again. I think he's doing a 60-day stint for heroin possession. This is a, another thing no one likes talking about in all the history. You've, everyone who's listening has heard me go on about this before. But, like, they always cut so much shit out of history books. They never talk about how a bunch of our heroes were drug users, how a bunch of our heroes were sex workers, a bunch of our heroes were, like, had specific political ideologies. Like, like there's all this stuff that gets cut out. And so... I don't know much about Chacha's drug use. I do know a lot about how the Young Lords dealt with heroin use um, in New York, and we'll talk about that later. Oh, I'm really interested um, in that. Cool. Um, it's really interesting. Yeah, like, I'm, I kept, the, the, whatever, I'm really excited about this. Everyone knows this. So he's doing a 60-day stint for heroin possession. And in prison, this is his second sea change moment. A bunch of shit that happens that solidifies his future politics. First, he's in prison when MLK is assassinated. Second, a bunch of Spanish-speaking prisoners, including him, get thrown into solitary for basically no reason. And okay. a guard tries to call him white in order to get black prisoners to beat him up, to, like, race bait people against each other. But a black prisoner uh-huh. stood up for him. And that bl- black prisoner said a few simple words that everyone needs to shout from time to time. Shut the fuck up, you pig. Um, wow. And so Chacha's like, <laughs> oh, cross-racial solidarity is real, right? And while That's he's in real. solitary, he likes to read. And the Nation okay. of Islam has pris- is in prisons because they're, they get arrested a lot. And they would get themselves jobs in prison libraries in order to provide radical books to people, which is fucking rad. 
And so he starts reading Martin Luther King. He starts reading Malcolm X. He also started reading a book called The Seven-Story Mountain, written by a radical Catholic monk named Thomas Merton. Oh, going to look that up immediately. Yeah, he was was super social justice-y in his faith. He was really into interfaith understandings. Like all of his like theological books are about like why Catholicism isn't the only way, even though it's his way or whatever. Um, how different uh-huh. people from different religions can get along and understand each other, and like including not just like the monotheistic religions, but like he writes a lot about. I didn't write this in my script, but I think it was Buddhism, but I don't remember. And he's really into writing, fighting racism and war. And he has this quote I really like: "The world is full of great criminals with enormous power." And they are in a death struggle with each other. It is a huge gang battle using well-meaning lawyers and policemen and clergymen as their front, controlling papers, means of communication, and enrolling everybody in their armies. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. What is his name again? His name is Thomas Merton. I haven't read his books yet. Okay. I um, But I, I, I really like this weird, like, yeah, he reads MLK, he reads Malcolm X, he reads Thomas Merton. And then he gets out of prison and he's like, you know, we need something like the Black Panthers. Good thing I'm the leader of a gang. Nice. What will he do? Who's to say? You certainly can't go read a book or some article on some website. You have to wait until Wednesday for part two of this epic four-part series on the Young Lords. But first, before people wait until Wednesday, they should hear more about you and what you've been working on and how people can find you. Well, I actually am working on a new album, so that's really exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, I just put out an album last year mm-hmm. called Life on Earth. My band's called Hooray for the Riff Raff. And you can find me on all the social medias, even though Twitter scares the fuck out of me, so I don't really <laughs> hang out there. <laughs> I'm like trying to figure out how to exist on the internet without it severely damaging me. I think we all are. Yeah. Um, but Instagram, you know, all those places. You could probably see me on tour. You should do that, definitely. Ooh, when are you going on tour? Um, I'll be on tour in May on the West Coast. I don't know when this will come out. This will come and out. And then in July. Before then. Yeah. Oh, cool. So I'll be on tour in May on the mm-hmm. West Coast. And in July, I'll be like through the Midwest. Cool. And some other places. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And you... Seriously, owe it to yourself to go check out Hooray for the Riff Raff if you haven't heard it before. Or if you came here yeah. to listen to this because you like Alinda, thanks for listening. And I hope you stick around till Wednesday. And you can follow me on the internet at Magpie Killjoy on Twitter, which I also hate, but I'm there. You're so good at it, though. Thank you. I, all I do is get really sad about it at least once a week. Um, and Instagram at Margaret Killjoy, where I mostly post pictures of my dog as I go hiking. Really cute dog. Thanks. I like him. And I will see everyone on Wednesday. Farewell. Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. 
visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm late. I'm late. Very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com. Come.